Well, hi. Uh, so our message begins in the last two verses of Acts chapter 4. Uh, so if you'll turn there in your Bibles, that would be great. Um, and while you're doing that, I'm going to really quickly tell you a goofy story um, that I read about a family. Uh, they felt as though they needed to practice some lifestyle evangelism. I guess they've been hearing about that in church or whatever in, the, in this fictional story. And... Um, because they've been slacking, right? And so they invited over some of their more heathen neighbors, and, and they hoped they might be able to show them just, just how holy their family was, you know? So the, when the neighbors came over, and they made this wonderful dinner, and they sat down for the meal, and, and everybody was about to dig in, and then um, the mother asked little five-year-old Billy to pray. And Billy was surprised, because that was kind of new for him, and, and so he said, well, Mama, what am I supposed to say? And blushing... His mom replied, well, honey, just talk to God the same way you heard Daddy do it this morning over breakfast. And Billy bowed his head and said, oh, Lord, we got those terrible people coming over for dinner. And <laughs> Kids say the funniest things. Um, so one of our greatest fears as Christians, I think, and maybe, maybe not yours, it's one of mine, is that somehow we're going to make some kind of awful mistake that makes God look bad to someone who's watching. For instance, I've mentioned before, that's why I don't put a Jesus fish on my vehicle. Um, some of you may be the same way. We're, we're, afraid, we're afraid of being hypocrites and turning someone off to the beautiful message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And... Uh, I just, I, I want to share this with you, and, and I, hope, I hope, friends, that I can express something that will bring you a little comfort, because uh, if, if you're like me, you do struggle with this, and, and if you are sincerely worried about hurting someone else's faith by being a hypocrite, you are probably not a hypocrite. You are a fatally flawed human being, okay? That doesn't mean that you won't ever hurt someone else's faith. But if you're trying to, trying to walk with the Lord, you're most likely not a hypocrite. And I'm going to explain why. Okay, because you might say, well, what do you mean, Mark? I thought we were all hypocrites. Okay. Frankly, y'all, there, there are probably times when we all stumble, when we all do something that's hypocritical, but that's not our main identity. Not if we're a Christian. Okay? And so before we go any further, I want us to define hypocrisy. Okay, first, I want to tell you what hypocrisy is not. Despite the common usage of the word. Hypocrisy does not equal not perfectly practicing what you preach. That is not the biblical definition of hypocrisy. Okay, I, I would argue that not fully living up to what we know to be right, that's called humanity. Okay, the, the book of James says we all stumble in many ways. In fact, in, you know, if you've heard this before... You know, sorry to say it again, but some of you I know haven't heard this story. And I just, I remember one time I was headed up the interstate and there was this little white car in the right lane and I was starting to pass and, and uh, they had a bumper sticker that said, honk if you love Jesus. And I thought, cool, I love Jesus. And so I honked and I waved and they waved back, but their wave was different from mine. <laughs> I used all of my fingers, but anyway, uh, they, they, it was disappointing. Okay. It was disappointing, but that's life. That's life, right? I mean, maybe they really were a believer and they'd had a terrible day. Maybe they thought I was being rude. Maybe there, maybe there was a, uh, an atheist prankster that likes to stick bumper stickers on cars. You know, I, I have no idea. I don't know, okay? But one reaction 
does not make the person. I just want to make that clear. It does, however, tend to reveal what kind of sins we struggle with, right? Right. Thank you. <laughs> but that's not the definition of hypocrisy. Okay? According to the way that Jesus uses the word, hypocrisy equals pretending to be something you are not. The Greek word that's translated hypocrites, it's actually a cognate, it's hypocrites. It means actors, okay? Greek stage actors would use masks like these in the PowerPoint, the comedy, the tragedy masks. They would use masks to show the audience what kind of, um, what kind of emotions or what kind of person their character was. And when Jesus confronted the fribes, the, the, the scribes and the Pharisees, when he confronted them with their hypocrisy, he did. He did point out to the people um, their lack of practicing what they preach, but that was just one symptom. That was one quality of their hypocrisy. That's one of the manifestations. And they weren't trying to practice what they preach. Okay, does that make sense? You with me? Okay. I just want to make sure that we're all on the same page about that. A, a person who fails to live up to God's standard of righteousness is a human being. But a person who pretends to be more righteous than they are is in the extremely, extremely dangerous position of being hypocritical. And that is a horrifying place to be. And hopefully everyone can see the difference between those two. Okay? And... Uh, this, this is a longer passage today, so I'm going to read through it with some pauses for exposition so we can kind of understand what's happening in the story. But then we're going to dig deeper into the text, and we're going to see how God's word reveals the extreme danger of hypocrisy. And so let's go back to Acts chapter 4. And remember, this, this passage comes on the heels of uh, Luke's description of the generosity and, and the care that the early church showed its members. Some of them with property were selling their stuff and they were giving it away. They were giving the, the, the money to the apostles so they could get necessities for people who were in need. And so that's why it says they had no needy among them. So, um, and just remember that in the original you know, autographs of the Bible, there were no chapter and verse numbers. Okay, And so this kind of carries right over into the next chapter. So we're going to go through verse, five, uh, verse 11 of chapter 5. Thus Joseph, who is also called by the apostles Barnabas, or we call it Barnabas, but it's Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now we're going to come back to Barnabas, but, but let me point out, the word says the field belonged to him. Okay, I just want to say that. I want to make sure that's clear. Property is not theft, okay? But the point that Luke is getting at is this. He was, he was led by the Spirit of God. And so Barnabas was generously providing for the needs of others by selling a piece of land and giving the money away. And this is a great example, right? So maybe, maybe he received some recognition for doing so, whether he wanted to or not. But it clearly was not his intention. He wasn't doing this to impress anyone, okay? And so he, he, he did it because he simply he just felt joyfully led to do so by God's Spirit. So uh, chapter 5 begins like this. But a man named Ananias... With his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, why do you suppose he did that, Ananias? You know, maybe he was seeking some kind of notoriety like Barnabas got. You know, maybe he and his wife were, were hoping that they would 
get some kind of status or maybe some position in the church politic. You know, they wanted to, to, to maybe get some authority. Who knows except God. But we do know his motivation wasn't pure, and he was willing to lie in an attempt to look good. Okay, but Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? That's a loaded question. We're going to come back to it in a little while. But while it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Now, again, this is an important point. Before Ananias sold that field, Peter says it belonged to him. There was no compulsion to sell it. Okay, the church wasn't demanding that anyone divest themselves of their property and give the money away. When people did that, it was entirely voluntary. If you feel like I'm beating that into the ground, it's okay. Our society right now needs to hear this. Okay? On top of that, once the field was sold, Peter says the money that he received for it belonged to Ananias and his wife. It was theirs. No one else was laying claim to it. And since Peter was speaking by the Holy Spirit, obviously, because he knew stuff he wouldn't have known otherwise, uh, the proceeds of the sale, he says, they belonged to the couple. So that means they hadn't made a vow to dedicate it to the Lord or anything like that. It was at their disposal to do what they felt right in doing. But the problem, I want to make this clear. The problem isn't that they weren't giving all the money, okay? Or even that they you know, weren't giving any part of the money. The problem was that they were so caught up in wanting to look good that they were lying about it. That's the problem. Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. Now, now, that's an interesting turn of a phrase. I mean, to me anyway. Because first, Peter, he refers to the devil filling Ananias' heart, but then he talks about contriving this deed in your heart. So this this wasn't like some kind of a, whoops, the devil made me do it, you know, kind of thing. This, this was a combination of being open to sin and falling prey to that sin. And upon doing so, the couple was setting themselves up for some really awful consequences. What Peter says then is true. Ananias thought he was deceiving Peter, but in reality, he was trying to deceive the Lord whom Peter was representing. And Luke continues. When Ananias heard these words... He fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. I'll bet. I'll bet it did. I mean, think about it. There would have been witnesses because Ananias, he, he wanted public acclaim. So he probably did this when there were other people around, right? So people saw the judgment of a holy God being instantly levied on a person that was trying to deceive who was being sinful intentionally. And don't you suppose that would have been eye-opening for the folks that were watching? I bet they were minding their P's and Q's after that for a while, don't you think? For sure. I read a meme recently, and, and I read a lot of memes, sorry. But I read one recently, and it said, wouldn't it be great if liars' pants really did catch on fire? <laughs> and, it, you know, and I, I imagine there'd be fewer lies, right? Or people would just stop wearing pants. <laughs> you know, one or the other. Uh, that's probably what actually happened because people are more embarrassed by the things they're trying to cover up than they are by their skivvies, honestly. Sad but true. Not only that, but because let the Lord be true and every man a liar, everybody would have burns on their legs. Just consider that. Anyway, the young man rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, 
His wife came in, not knowing what had happened, and Peter said to her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, Yes, for so much. <laughs> and one, uh, one could wonder why she, she hadn't yet heard about her husband. You know? Or, or, you know, maybe she did hear about it. She thought it was a fluke. Maybe she was hoping to gain sympathy from the church. We don't know. But either way, she continues knowingly to try to keep the deception going. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have both agreed to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately, she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. Y'all, that's a sad story. And maybe a little bit scary. It makes us ask the question, why would God be so harsh? I mean, some people are probably thinking that, well, well, isn't it just a little white lie? Weren't they doing something good? Even if they were trying to make themselves look better than they were being? Were they hurting anyone? L listen, folks. There are times in Scripture where God makes an example out of someone for the purpose of sparing other people, okay, from falling into the same sin. One of the commentaries I read pointed out, uh, you remember the, the story of Achan, right? Achan in the Old Testament, he stole some of what belonged to God, apparently with the knowledge of his family, and, and, and they all paid for it with their lives. Remember that? But for a while, it kept the rest of the Israelites honest. They knew they were supposed, okay, this stuff that's supposed to be, just, you know, consecrated for destruction, we're going to give that to God. We're not going to try to keep it. He was protecting them from their own greed. And here's something, this is something we need to understand, church, okay? Sin is bad. <laughs> Did you know that? Sin is bad. It's wrong, it's wicked, it's evil, it is, it is antithetical to God. It is a big deal. And God wants us to be aware that sin is deadly. And when he struck down Ananias and Sapphira, it made an impact on the church. Now, I don't, I don't know if they were forgiven for their sin in the next life, and I am not going to speculate. I do know the Lord. I know the Lord. And he, he knew when he took them out, okay? He knew where their hearts were and whether they would be repentant or not. God knew that. But notice, it had the desired effect, okay? The church recognized that they needed to be sincere in the practice of their faith, and it produced a healthy respect for God's power and God's authority. I think it would be wonderful if, if all Christians, all professing Christians, understood the destructive power of sin. Especially intentional sin. It can damage our lives. It can damage our relationship with God and our relationship with others. And of, of course, our witness, it can damage that which can affect other people's relationship with God. And so it is, it is a serious, sin is a serious thing. And we need to be aware of it. Our God is a holy God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And the whole earth is the fullness of his glory. He has no tolerance for sin. His whole purpose with his people, remember, he said, be holy as I am holy. He wanted to show his glory to the nations. And let's, let's quickly examine the purpose of the cross here while we're doing okay? 
the cross, it wasn't just for the sake of setting us free from the punishment of sin. Jesus died in order to set us free from the power of sin. Do you understand that? He died to set us free, not just from the consequences, but from being under sin's dominion. He literally died to make us holy. Jesus didn't just go to the cross so that we didn't have to go to hell. He went to the cross so we would become like him. Don't miss that. Okay? Don't miss that. And we share in his resurrection. Talked about this a little yesterday. We share in his resurrection when we are raised to new life and we walk in the spirit instead of the flesh. And that new life continues past the point where our bodies die. Okay, now we're going to spend a little more time here. We're going to go over the first few verses of this text, and we're going to look at two possible and, and <laughs> diametrically opposed attitudes that we can have as professing believers. And they're, they're displayed by two characters in the story, and we're going to see which one we need to be like and why. Okay, the first attitude is of faithfulness. First attitude is faithfulness, which is the behavior that arises out of the fear of the Lord. This is a healthy fear. It's a fear that leads to godliness, and we see it exemplified in Barnabas. And the Bible is it's full of examples of people that were greatly blessed and that blessed others because they feared the Lord. And this is starkly contrasted with hypocrisy, which is behavior stemming from the fear of man. And we see that in Ananias and his wife Sapphira. Fear of man is a dangerous attitude to have. But if we look at our lives through an honest lens, I think we will see that much of what we do is either based in the fear of God or the fear of man. And only one of these, only one of these is consistent with having the spirit of God indwelling you. Okay. Now, please understand, these two attitudes are contradictory and one of them has to win. One of them has to win for the believer. Okay. Jesus warns himself about the importance uh, warns us, sorry, about the importance of fearing God rather than fearing man in Luke 12. He says, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more they can do, but I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. That's pretty straightforward. The worst people can do to us is hurt us or kill us or our loved ones. Yeah, that's pretty awful, but that's the worst they can do. God has the authority to punish us forever, which we deserve, although he withholds that punishment from those who trust in him. But recognize that, that trusting in him is connected with fearing him, and it's, it's in opposition to the fear of man. Being, being a people pleaser can cause us to reject the Lord. That sounds like a strong statement. It's convicting to me. I tend to be a people pleaser, believe it or not. Some of you are like, you never please me, but trust me. I, I, I tend to be a people pleaser. But as Paul writes in Galatians 1, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? He says, if I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Pretty cut and dried. Pretty blatant. So that's, that's, that's pretty much your dichotomy, okay? You, faithful people ultimately fear the Lord. Hypocrites ul ultimately fear man. Are you, are you with me? Do you understand? Yeah? Okay, okay. 
So, so let's look at that first paragraph again, then we're going to dissect it a little bit. Thus Joseph, it's actually, I think, Joseph is the name in Greek. But anyway, thus Joseph, who is also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. But a man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back a part of it and laid, sorry, kept back a part of it for himself and took some of the proceeds, brought only a part, and laid it at the apostles' feet. Okay, so what we know from the context and also from the rest of the book of Acts is that Barnabas was being fully sincere in his actions, okay? He was, he was real. Barnabas was not trying to fool anybody, okay? He, he gave graciously out of his heart. He did it not, not to impress anyone. He did it because he wanted to do it. He felt led to do it. And this, in short, is how a faithful Christian should behave, okay? The word tells us in Romans 12, let love be sincere. And a fully sincere person is someone who, who says what they mean, and they mean what they say, and, and with whom what you see is what you get. That is a faithful, sincere person. They're really real. But a hypocrite is a person who's putting on an act like Ananias. You know, whoosh, whoosh. That's very, very different person. I want you to bear in mind that this was not a mistake that he committed in the heat of the moment, right? This was a premeditated act of deception for the purpose of looking good. Now, you can disagree with me if you want, but I believe the worst kind of sin is premeditated sin. When we sin out of weakness, it's stumbling. But when we sit down at the table of sin and we tie on the napkin and we start reading the menu of sin, that is bad news. That is incredibly dangerous. And it, it, it's a terrible tragedy, and it puts us in the grave danger of quenching the Holy Spirit. Do not go there. Don't do it, friends. Don't do it. So, if a faithful person is fully sincere, and a hypocrite puts on an act, then, then what, is, what is it that one is truly doing and that the other one is pretending. And I think we can draw from this that Barnabas was truly loving God and people. Now, how do we know that? Well, firstly, we see Luke just lifting him up as a shining example in this text, right? And then, of course, there's, there's the fact that if you read the rest of the New Testament, <laughs> then you know that Barnabas ends up being a great evangelist and a missionary. He's, he's also the first person, by the way, to trust in the changed Saul of Tarsus, Barnabas was the one who, the disciples didn't want to have anything to do with Saul. They were terrified of him. Barnabas was the one that's like, no, no, he's, he's real. Come on. He brings Paul to them. And they finally accepted him as sent by God. But in this passage, we see that he had a nickname. And it's truly an awesome nickname. Because his real name is Joseph. I mean, they could have called him Josie, but they did. They named him Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. That is a cool name. You don't get that name by being an Eeyore, you know. Barnabas loved God, and he loved people, and it was obvious by his demeanor. And You know, guys, some Christians are, are just really obviously lights in the darkness, right? Every time they're around you, you feel lifted up. And, and if that's the case, it's reasonable to assume that their profession of faith is sincere. And if that sentence convicts you because you're not like that, good. Okay? Good. Be like that. 
well, that's just not my personality. You know, listen, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying everybody has to be all bubbly and chatty. If that's not your personality, cool, no problem. But lifting one another up, that is what Christians are supposed to do. You don't have to be a, a, a type A or an extrovert to lift other people up. Okay, Jesus told his followers, and that would include us, you are the light of the world. So if you're his follower, throw some light. Amen? Amen. Throw some light. So to reemphasize, you know, if, if, if you're not the effervescent type, that's okay. I'm not telling you pretend to be. That would be the opposite of this message. Okay? That's not what I'm saying. All right? But be a light. Be encouraging. That takes, that takes focusing outside of yourself. And it's a good thing. So a faithful person sincerely loves God and people, but a hypocrite puts on an act of pretending to love God and love people. They're doing it for show. They don't have a heart for their actions, and eventually that will become obvious. Folks in this category fall under that, that, that terrifying Matthew 7, Lord, Lord category. You guys know what I'm talking about? If you don't know what I'm talking about, go to Matthew 7 later on this afternoon. Look it up. Scary stuff. Okay? It's, it'll curl your toes. But anyway, for these people, it's all for show. It's an attempt to win the favor of people and possibly God, which leads us to the next, the next thing. And that's the next difference. Faithful people trust entirely in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Full stop. They trust in the righteousness of Christ for their justification before both God and man. And yes, I said God and man. And I want to explain that. Justification before man will happen one day. It will. Hopefully you understand it, that it is by faith alone that we are justified before God. But faith that justifies is never alone. It will be accompanied by works, by a change of attitude. Those things happen in the believer. I need to, to make sure we're on the same page. And that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. But justification before man, it is going to happen. And it may not take place in this life. But in the end, okay, those who are in Christ will be vindicated. We will be validated. We will be shown to have lived the truth. And we know from Scripture that when we walk faithfully before God, if our enemies slander us, it says they'll be ashamed because they'll be shown to be wrong. They'll be speaking out of spite or out of envy. And, and that's important if you're dealing with hatred from the world. It's a good reminder that one day they're all going to know they were wrong, whether because of conversion or because of conviction in the end, one or the other. They will know they're wrong. Every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of the glory of God the Father. Some people, though, it's not going to be in time. It's going to be too late. When that happens, they'll know. But as far as, as justification before God, if you are a, a believer in Jesus Christ, and by that I mean if you have accepted the gospel that tells us who Jesus is and what God did through him, then you've put your faith in the crucified and resurrected Son of God and you know what he did for you. And so your motivating factor in your life is now grace. Your motivating factor, I want to say that again, in your life is now or should now be grace. And grace, the grace of God, it's multiple ways. Okay? It's God's grace working in you and it motivates you to serve him. It motivates you 
to, to serve other people, you know, Philippians 2. But his grace on you gives you th this intense gratitude. It makes you more generous than before. You know, you, you, you lavish grace on other people because you know how much forgiveness you've received at the mercy and grace of God in Christ. So you're much more inclined to forgive others. And you're not, you're not trying to be good to earn salvation because you know you can't. You're, you're doing good because Christ earned salvation for you. For you. In contrast, though, the hypocrite, the hypocrite is concerned with trying to appear righteous before people. You remember that quote from Galatians? If, I, if I'm trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ, Paul says. i got to remember that. The motivating factor for the hypocrite is not God's grace, nor is it even the desire to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. It's to hear accolades from other people. And what a sad state of affairs that is. Because the praise of man is fleeting. It's temporary, and it's often insincere anyway. But to live for the praise of others means not being able to live for the Lord. Now, please, please don't misunderstand. This doesn't mean that we can't ever please people. You know, Jesus often pleased people. He healed. He did miraculous signs. He taught. He did wonderful things. But it means we can't allow pleasing people to be the concern that drives us. That can't be the main desire in our heart. Okay? If we, if we live to please God and we live in the righteousness of in the righteousness that he provides for us, then some people are going to take pleasure in that. Others will not. If you've lived any significant length of time on this earth, you probably know what I'm talking about. Some people react well to the light of Christ shining through you. Others do not react well. The question to ask yourself is, which is more important to me? Pleasing others? or even pleasing myself, or pleasing God. Which one is more important? And, and if you can honestly say that you're more concerned about what God thinks about you, then that's good, okay? Keep pushing that direction. But, but if you're realizing that you honestly maybe care a little more about what people think, and, and believe this, what you really care about will be most apparent in your actions, okay? If you care more about what people think, repent, repent, repent. Turn aside from that, men, that mentality, that mindset, and, and, and turn the other direction and seek to please the Lord instead. Okay, so we're getting closer. Let's examine what is arguably the most important characteristic of the faithful person versus the hypocrite. A faithful person like Barnabas is being filled with the Holy Spirit of God. That is a super necessary thing for us to please God. We cannot do it in the flesh. Romans 8. Okay? It has to be the Holy Spirit working through us. We have to be walking in the Spirit. If, if, you, if you're struggling with this concept, please, after again, this afternoon, go read Romans 8. already said Matthew 7. Now Romans 8. Okay? And also the whole book of 1 John. Okay? It's just five chapters. You can do it. Now, I, I'm, not, I'm not, listen, when I talk about being filled with the Spirit, I'm not just talking about the indwelling Holy Spirit that you receive when you come to faith in Christ, although that's obviously necessary for a Christian in the first place. But I'm talking about being filled with it, constantly being open to God's Spirit's leading. Let, let Him flow in you, or rather overflow through you and out of you. Ask God to provide more of His Spirit. 
Because listen, this is true. This is so cool. There's only a few things in Scripture, specific things, that we are promised we'll receive if we ask for it. Okay? One of them is wisdom. James 1. We talk about that a lot. But the other one is the Holy Spirit. Ask God. Listen, okay? Ask God to provide more of his spirit. Jesus promises in the Sermon on the Mount that the Lord will give more of his Holy Spirit. Do you know that? He says, how much more will the Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Don't be like Ananias, okay, to whom Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? Listen, there is a terrifying reality here, okay? It is possible for a person to become so hypocritical that they have a Satan-filled heart. You remember Judas? Living with Jesus, watching his miracles, hearing his teaching, observing his perfection for the better part of three years. Ministering alongside Jesus Christ himself for part of that time. Then he turned around and betrayed him. Don't be that guy or girl. Don't be like that. Don't try to pretend to be a Christian so people will be impressed with how good you are. Truly be a Christian so that people can be overjoyed with how good God is. I want to wrap this up with uh, some words from the mouth of Christ himself. And the first words are, are, are harsh, but they were spoken about and to hypocrites. Okay, so listen, this is... God in the flesh, the word come, become flesh, who describes what a hypocrite looks like. Okay? He says, remember, this is one of the manifestations of hypocrisy. They preach, but do not practice. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. Sound familiar? Right? Ananias, Sapphira. But, but then he takes it up a notch, and he speaks directly to the hypocrites. He says, you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves, nor allow those who would enter to go in. That's horrifying. You, you tithe mint and dill and cumin. In other words, you pay attention to the most particular details of the less important things and have neglected, Jesus says, the weightier matters of the law. Justice and mercy and faithfulness. These are what God wants, church. He wants us to be just and merciful. He wants us to be faithful. Jesus continues, you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. You serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Woo! I mean, do you see anything there that leads you to repent of something? I hope God is revealing something to all of us today through his word because, guys, we are all in need of constantly being molded and shaped by the Spirit of God. We need, we need every day, we need to be repenting of sin. Each of us has areas of improvement in holiness. We all need to be sanctified more than we are, okay? And that's okay, right? We want to be aware of those things if we're faithful because that helps us to be more faithful, so, so let's, let's look at some of the words that Jesus spoke, not about the hypocrites, but about the faithful. All that the Father gives to me, I will never cast out. There's more in the middle there, 
but that's pretty powerful. Okay, so let me read this whole thing. All that the Father gives to me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Church family, listen. Friends, listen, okay? If you are, are struggling with guilt or with shame or with scrupulosity, some of you are familiar with that, that uh, if, you know, I don't know if I'm not going to explain it right now. It's awful, okay? I've struggled with it. That's part of why I'm on anxiety medication. If you struggle with these things, Listen, Jesus will never cast you out. Jesus will never cast you out. Never. If you come to Jesus in repentant faith, do not worry. He won't cast you out. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Last week we read 1 John 3.17 where the word says a person can't love the Lord if they don't care for their needy brother. But right after that convicting statement he writes this, Little children, let us not love in word or talk but in deed and in truth. By this we know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. Okay? caring for people and whatnot. He says, for whenever, I love this, for whenever our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. So if you are convicted by the word of the Lord today and you desire that he make you more faithful, know that that is his work in you, not yours. And don't be afraid of judgment, okay? Instead, be grateful that he is erasing a little of the hypocrite in you and in me every day, and he's making us more like Jesus. So friends, fear God. Be fully sincere. Be real, right? Love God and love people. Trust in Christ's righteousness and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Ask God to fill you, and he will. Luke eleven thirteen. he will. So, so here's where we put the bow on top, okay? If you, if you are realizing today that you've never truly come to Jesus in repentant faith, you've never been obedient to him, you know, maybe you've been trying to lie to the Holy Spirit and just pretend to be a Christian, repent and believe. Confess your faith. Be immersed in the water, as the Bible very clearly teaches, and then let us walk alongside you as the body of Christ, and you walk alongside of us. And if you, if you have a different need, if you have a need for, uh, for prayer, um, if you want to place membership, if you want to confess something, um, then I just want to offer the opportunity for you to do that. So as Everett comes up and he, he's going to play, he's going to lead us in a song, please do not fight the Spirit of God today. Okay? Would you stand together?